the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, April 25th, the 460th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started, I just want to remind you that if you need to make your life and your home more comfortable, you just go to mypillow.com where you can put in the promo code reasonable and save up to 60% off all sorts of things to make your life more comfortable. Grab some slippers, grab some towels, mattress pad, some Giza dream sheets, some pillows, and you will be supporting this show. You will be supporting the great American Patriot, Mike Lindell, and you'll be supporting his great American company, my pillow. And you also get a free gift, Mike Lindell's book. So go to mypillow.com. Promo code reasonable. And we're going to talk more about Mike Lindell in a little bit. But first, it seems that Elon Musk and Twitter have come to terms on some sort of deal for Elon Musk to acquire Twitter. They met yesterday on Sunday afternoon to discuss the situation, and it seems like they've come to some sort of agreement. He just tweeted within the last. 20 minutes or so. I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Apparently, that means the deal is done. Because Elon Musk purchasing Twitter is what has all of the blue and non communists in a tizzy saying that they're going to leave Twitter the same way that they always say they're going to move to Canada. If someone they don't like gets elected and they never actually move to Canada. The funny thing is that they think they can just move to other countries around the world whenever they want. Like Canada would love to have me. They believe automatically in open borders. There's nothing you have to do to become a Canadian citizen other than simply cross the border in your moving truck. But hey, they're not very smart. If they were very smart, they wouldn't be scared for their lives just because people who say the no-no things might be allowed back inside their little bubble on Twitter. So we're just going to have to see how that whole situation develops. I would imagine there will be more news on that today, and maybe we'll get to talk about it more tomorrow. But in the meantime, there was an election in France yesterday, and Emmanuel Macron defeated Marine Le Pen by 17 points, 
16.4 points, something around there, like 58-41-ish. And so the globalists have claimed another election victory. Now, one of the funniest things that emerged after the results were announced was a tweet from Joe Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain. He said, just an interesting observation, FYI. President Macron appears to have secured a double digit victory over Le Pen at a time when his approval rating is 36 percent. Hmm. Now, you might think that sounds like one of the stupidest things anyone could ever say. You're basically proving that there was election fraud in France, but that's not how he intends it. And we shouldn't hear it that way, or at least we shouldn't hear it only that way. Because he is actually saying something that he expects to help the Democrats this fall. Obviously, it is a major news story. Every time new Biden polls come out, the media is now covering how bad his polls are. They are historically bad. They are in the mid to low 30s in terms of approval rating, and they are far, far worse among Republicans and independents. And of course, as the ostensible leader of the Democrat Communist Party. The Democrat Communist Party has very low approval ratings as well. But yet, when November comes around in six months, six months in a week, that's about how far we are away from the 2022 midterm elections. When those elections come around, the Democrat Communist Party is still going to have atrocious approval ratings and probably even worse than they are now, unless the polling companies decide to change their methodology and show a brighter picture, which they will explain is actually a more accurate picture based on this thing and this thing and this thing that the Biden administration has done that the country really liked. We saw some real progress on this and that and the other thing. And the country has come back around to Joe Biden, at least 35 or 36 percent of it. And we know from what we saw in France that 36 percent can actually be a winning number if we also tell you that a huge portion of the French voting population stayed home because they were so dejected by politics in general. Sure, they didn't like Emmanuel Macron, but they knew the other side was just so dangerous. So a lot of people decided that they would just stay home and abstain from voting. And those two stories on their face make a lot of sense if they're representing reality. You can imagine the possible world where people really feel that way. They actually believe that Marine Le Pen represents something dangerous because that's what the television tells them all the time. And very centrist voters might think, yeah, I've had it with Macron, but I cannot vote for Le Pen, so I'm going to stay home. And of course, we were told very similar things about Donald Trump to what they're saying about Le Pen now. And we were told about a mythical voter who was upset with the Democrats, but just couldn't imagine voting for Donald Trump. So they stayed home or they stayed with their normal pick, which is the safe pick, which is the establishment pick, which is the fake president, Joe Biden. 
We were told at various points that up to half of the French voting population would simply stay home. Sure, the French have been marching the streets for at least six months every week, but they are a little bit indifferent about the results of this election. That's what we're meant to believe. 36% approval for the globalist, the former central banker who worked directly for the Rothschilds, Emmanuel Macron. They're indifferent enough to stay home. They're just going to abstain from voting. They don't want to vote for change, even if they have to hold their nose a bit while doing it. They don't want that. They're just going to stay home. That's what our media has told us. And so yesterday, before the election started, our media began telling us something else. Our media began telling us how safe and secure the French election would be. This is from the Associated Press yesterday. Explainer, how France's old school voting system works. This is the globalist Associated Press, the Associated Press that continually spreads fake news, just like their peers in Reuters. And of course, the Associated Press is picked up and reprinted by outlets all over the world. This is one of the standard go-to legacy media sources. So why are they telling us that France's election is going to be totally safe and secure? Why is it important for the international audience to know how safe and secure France's election will be? Paper ballots tucked in paper envelopes. No absentee voting. And no early voting either. French voters in Sunday's presidential election are using an old school system that has defied calls for more flexibility or modernization. As France's 48.8 million voters are invited to choose between President Emmanuel Macron and his far right challenger Marine Le Pen, here is a look at how the French election works. Now, Emmanuel Macron is always painted as a centrist. He's nothing like those far left socialists in France, and they have plenty of those. He arrived with his own brand new party a few years ago, and now he's back. His brand new party just immediately soared to success, exactly like Volodymyr Zelensky's brand new party soared to success. After he finished his run as a television president, he was immediately named the brand new president because of his very successful new political party that was started by the producers of his television program. So he went from comedic actor directly to president with a brand new party. He was just so popular, exactly like Emmanuel Macron. So Macron comes back around now. He is very centrist. He's not one of those insane socialists. He hears what you're saying. You were a little bit upset about the COVID policies, but not that upset. Not that upset. Certainly half the country, they still want the COVID lockdowns. Emmanuel Macron was actually a very reasonable center. That's what we're supposed to think. Is Emmanuel Macron a hundred percent bought and paid for globalist? Absolutely. Is he totally in line with the agenda of the World Economic Forum? Of course. But he is also very centrist, you see. And that's why Marine Le Pen is on the far right. Her brand of nationalism and populism is far right, no matter what. Is she in favor of anarchy? Well, no, of course not. So in what way is she far right? 
She is far right based on the socialists being far left. She is too far right of them. So if you are a centrist, you are that far to the right of extreme socialists, which if you just change the perspective makes you far right, just like Donald Trump is far right. Donald Trump's not far right. Donald Trump wants a constitutional republic that serves the people as the constitution was written. He wants the very country we were promised as our birthright. That's not far right. That is just in accordance with the constitution. How do they cast ballots in France? Voters make their choices in a booth with curtains closed, then place their ballot in an envelope that is then put into a transparent ballot box. They must show photo identification and sign a document next to their name to complete the process. Well, with that very basic description, that sounds like a bunch of the things many of us have been asking for. Machine voting has been allowed on an experimental basis, but the purchase of new machines has been frozen since 2008 due to security concerns. Only about 60 towns still use them out of 35,000 municipalities in France. Okay, now we know our voting machines are still running on software that old. So it's entirely possible that their voting machines are as susceptible to fraud as ours. And you would suspect, of course, that they would be because that's what voting machines are for. It is a little suspicious that this reporter from the Associated Press just compared the number of towns with machines, which is 60, to the number of municipalities in France. Why not compare on the same basis? Or are they using towns and municipalities interchangeably? If so, why did they use different words? Last year, Macron's centrist government tried to pass an amendment to allow early voting by machine to encourage electoral participation amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The Senate, led by a conservative majority, rejected the measure, arguing it was announced with too little notice and wasn't solid enough legally. So they tried to do the exact same thing the communists did here in 2020. A nationwide effort to streamline voter rolls, notably to remove people who had died or changed addresses, led to some people being unable to vote in the first round presidential election on April 10th. The state statistics agency reported that about 3,100 voters who were removed by error were restored to voting lists in time for the second round. So you should take away from that, that an effort to streamline voter rolls by removing dead people or people who had changed addresses actually suppressed the vote. That's what's in danger here. So you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't clean up voter rolls. Mail-in voting was banned in 1975 amid fears of potential fraud. Oh, well, that's so strange because we just had millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of mail-in votes for the first time ever. And absolutely no fraud occurred in the United States. Why didn't they use that as an example and say how stupid it is to even think fraud could occur by mail-in ballots? People who can't go to the polls for various reasons can authorize someone else to vote for them. I bet that's not open to exploitation. To do so, a voter must fill out a form ahead of time and bring it to a police station. Up to 7% of people voted by proxy in the last presidential election five years ago. 
French people living abroad vote in embassies or consulates. Okay, so 7% of the country goes down to the police station so they can vote absentee. That sounds ridiculous. Who does that? 7% of people do that? That sounds extraordinarily high to me. I wonder if they have NGOs helping that process to make sure that everybody can vote. They have a whole program that helps you go through the police station process so you can vote forever by absentee. There's definitely no way to exploit that. Local authorities can organize vans or buses to pick up older people from nursing homes to bring them to voting stations and prisons set up voting stations inside their facilities. Man, that's convenient for old people. So great. Did old people represent Macron's entire voting block and all the people that showed up? Yeah. Volunteers count the ballots one by one by hand. Officials then use state-run software to register and report results. But legally, only the paper counts. If a result is challenged, the paper ballots are recounted manually. For towns using machines, the results are registered locally and then reported to the Interior Ministry, which oversees elections. The ministry said it received no reports of irregularities involving voting machines in the first round vote on April 10th. Most pandemic restrictions have been lifted in the country. The number of cases is significantly lower than earlier this year, but there are still more than 80,000 new confirmed infections each day. People who test positive for the virus can go to the polls. They are strongly advised to wear a mask and follow other health guidelines. Okay, so COVID-19 poses no risk to voting. We were told that here by Anthony Fauci in August of 2020. Then we were told it again by the CDC on Election Day. They sent out an advisory saying that even if you were currently infected with the coronavirus, you could go vote. That's how important it was for you to exercise your right to vote. Also, they know that COVID can only be spread with extended exposure. At least that's what they tell us. So going in to vote and then returning home doesn't give that kind of extended exposure. That's what they're telling us again. And if you wear a mask that doesn't work, everything will be just fine. But still, we reserve the right in the future to have lockdowns. And here's how they're also helping with COVID. Voters can wash their hands at polling stations. Oh, does COVID rest on the machines? Is that still being pretended? Got it. So you're very safe is what you're saying. The things you're doing don't make any difference. But because you're doing things, that means you're thinking about COVID. And thinking about COVID is what keeps you safe. So voters can wash their hands and the polling stations also have hand sanitizer available. Equipment is to be frequently cleaned and each voting station lets fresh air in for at least 10 minutes every hour. COVID solved. So once I saw this article pop up all over and it was spreading pretty widely yesterday, you know, my first thought was, why is the Associated Press trying to convince us that France's elections are totally safe and secure? So I started doing some more digging on France's elections. This article is from France24.com. This is from the 11th of February, and it has some more information on France's voting system. 
all eligible French adults born on or before April 9th, 2004, who will be at least 18 years of age on the eve of the first round and who are registered to vote can do so. Most voters can register until the sixth Friday, March 4th this year, before the first round on April 10th. A few exceptions get a grace period until 10 days before the first vote. Those naturalized as French celebrating an 18th birthday or moving house in the home stretch of the campaign, for example, a French national can be deprived of voting rights by court decision. And it turns out that many of the yellow vests, those protesters, the gilets jaunes, were denied their voting rights this year. And there's some controversy about that. But of course, the official sources have denied that it is actually a problem. So the media agrees that it's not a problem. Case closed. Citizens serving prison terms aren't automatically ineligible, although incarcerated individuals must use a special procedure to register. Unlike in municipal and European parliament elections, other European nationals who live in France do not have a say in who holds France's highest office. Okay. So in European Parliament elections, other members of the EU, other citizens of the EU who are not specifically French citizens can vote in European parliamentary elections in France. So if you are a citizen of another EU nation and you're living in France, you don't have to return to your nation to vote in the EU elections. And it seems you don't have to vote in municipal elections in France either. So you are in the system as a voter in France. You're just not allowed to vote in this particular election. And we can see that as a point further down the path of where the United States is headed right now. In New York City elections, they have now made it legal, at least until it gets appealed and thrown out, of course. They have made it legal to vote in city elections for illegal immigrants. Those illegal immigrants will enter New York's official voter registry. They'll only be allowed to vote in certain elections. But if they vote in other elections, they'll be counted unless they're challenged. And they must be challenged either at the polling place where one would hope it happens but probably afterward, because there's going to be mistakes that can just be blamed on human error. Whoops, something happened in the system and they didn't realize that these people were actually ineligible to vote. They voted anyway because they are eligible to vote in other elections, but just not this one. But they did. And unless you're going to challenge it, unless you're going to tell the big lie and say the election was stolen, unless you're going to go through all that, well, you're just going to have to accept that, yes, some non-French citizens voted in our election. We left it open. It's a spot where there's a loophole. You hope the loophole doesn't get exploited. You try to avoid it. But if it does get exploited, hey, what are you going to do? Become a domestic terrorist and start telling the big lie? Just deal with it, you sore loser. Voting in France is a paper-based process. Each registered voter receives an envelope in the mail containing every official candidate's platform and as many ballots, small pieces of paper inscribed with a candidate's name as there are candidates. Okay, well, that doesn't make sense. I think that they're saying as many different pieces of paper as there are candidates. So you just get a bunch of little pieces of paper and then you put them in your envelope, and then your envelope is sealed. 
From 8 a.m. on Election Day, registered voters head to their assigned polling places, often a local school, to cast one of the ballots received by mail or an identical one available at the polling place. See, you don't do mail-in voting. You get your ballot by mail in an envelope, and then you take it to the polling place rather than get a ballot at the polling place. So it's only a half ballot by mail election. And so they'll send ballots to all of the registered voters. But then those ballots have to be properly returned following all of the other rules and definitely not breaking any of them, even though they seem extremely easy to break. After a voter's identity and assigned polling place has been verified, he or she is given an official envelope and heads into a booth, pulling closed the curtain. The voter places one name in the envelope and then brings it to a transparent ballot box where the polling chief confirms the voter's identity, opens the slot and checks that only one envelope is deposited. The polling official then calls out that the person voted and the voter signs a list next to his or her name to complete the process. The voter's electoral card, which looks similar to a coffee shop fidelity card with enough boxes to mark in several locations, is stamped with a day's date. Polls close at 6 or 7 p.m., except in large cities where they close at 8 p.m. Now, it's strange that they don't mention ballot harvesting anywhere in either of these articles, because that is an obvious exploit for this system. The envelopes are another obvious exploit. And apparently there are reports of this. I'm not an expert on French elections, but this is something to keep an eye out for. People have talked about their envelopes already being spoiled when they receive them. If there's a tear or something in the envelope, they can invalidate those votes and invalidated votes actually sounds like a method of election influence that has already been explained in the central narrative by presetting the narrative of an ultra low turnout election. I thought for a time yesterday that perhaps France might be in some way ahead of us in restoring election integrity and having legitimate elections, but that seems to have been false. It seems to me right now that they may well be where we were on November 4th of 2020. And I hope, I expect, but I hope the citizens there will rise up and make this an issue because you cannot just allow your country to be stolen, especially not after witnessing it in so many other places in the U.S. in particular and seeing how bad the results of a stolen election can be for a country. Now, I want to share this piece today from Politico, and then we'll discuss the Lindell lawsuit. The headline election fraud claims dominate Georgia GOP governor's debate. David Perdue made his intentions clear right out of the gate. In his opening statement in the Georgia GOP gubernatorial primary debate, he fixated on alleged election fraud. Purdue, the former senator who is Donald Trump's endorsed candidate, sparred with Governor Brian Kemp on the issue for almost half of the one hour GOP debate Sunday night, accusing the governor of trying to bury the truth about the 2020 election. First off, let me be very clear tonight. Purdue began his opening statement. The election in 2020 was rigged and stolen. 
He went on to blame rising gas prices, inflation, illegal immigration, and the brink of war on Kemp because the governor allowed radical Democrats to steal our election. Kemp aimed to brand his challenger as damaged goods, saying several times that Purdue lost his last election to Democrat John Ossoff. The governor focused more on setting up his race against the presumptive Democratic nominee, Stacey Abrams. Now that is very interesting. Brian Kemp's claim to why he should be named the candidate, the Republican candidate for Georgia governor, is that his primary opponent, or as he sees now, his primary opponent, David Perdue, the Trump endorsed candidate, lost to John Ossoff. Brian Kemp is premising his candidacy on a stolen election, the results of a stolen election that was not his. He's saying you got beat by John Ossoff, which is a blatant lie. And he knows that. And how are you going to beat Stacey Abrams when all of MAGA wants to see you criminally prosecuted for what you aided and abetted in the fall of 2020? That's not going to work. This is like handing the game to Stacey Abrams. So they can cheat in the election in Georgia. They'll cheat to make Brian Kemp the winner over David Perdue. And then they'll cheat to make Stacey Abrams governor. That's the plan down there. You think the Democrats are going to be able to run a campaign with a candidate across from Stacey Abrams, who is Trump endorsed, talking about election fraud to Stacey Abrams, someone who's going to come to Stacey Abrams face and say, you never conceded your 2018 election. You know, the 2020 election was stolen and your company, Happy Faces, helped steal it. How are the communists going to deal with that one? Kemp repeated three times that he wants to make sure Stacey Abrams is never your governor or your next president. As if that's Brian Kemp's job, Brian Kemp. The pathetic waste of space in Georgia is going to be the one that saves us from a Stacey Abrams presidency. Hey, thanks, Brian. I think we're going to go it alone on this one. And that he's the only candidate to have already beaten her, referring to his 2018 victory. Yeah, well, she doesn't think so, Brian. The two candidates also debated rising crime, the economy and pandemic restrictions, as well as the question of cityhood for Atlanta's Buckhead neighborhood. But the distance between Kemp and Purdue's stances on the 2020 election marked their largest difference as both tried to boast their conservative stances on support for law enforcement, stopping illegal immigration and improving the economic condition of Georgia. The state's May 24th Republican primary election has races up and down the ballot featuring candidates endorsed by Trump. Trump has endorsed five candidates running statewide in Georgia, but the governor's race has gotten special attention from the former president. And the article goes on now. A lot of people out there are like, we don't want anything to do with David Perdue. Candace Taylor is our choice for governor. And I am totally with you. Okay. Candace Taylor seems absolutely like the most committed America first candidate without a doubt. She is the strongest on election fraud. I have no doubt about that. Okay. Donald Trump endorsed David Perdue for a reason. I'm not exactly sure what that reason is. It could be that David Perdue is the most likely to be able to win. Okay. That is just a possibility. 
Now, I don't like that. I think if we did a good job of communicating, we could bring every MAGA candidate across the line. The most MAGA candidate, the most America first candidate should be the winner everywhere one runs if we do our jobs properly. Okay. With you guys on absolutely all of that hundred percent agreement. All right. But that may not be the case and it may not be the most effective path in an overall victory. Okay. That's what I'm suggesting. That's the only thing I'm suggesting. Take it or leave it. This is no slight to Candace Taylor in any way. It's also possible that the reason David Perdue was endorsed by Trump is that he could have this exact effect on the race and on the national conversation. David Perdue comes out of the gates saying the election was rigged and stolen. Now this is what the GOP primary for governor, that race is all about. It cannot be about any other thing. The voters of Georgia are going to show up and vote based on whether or not they care about the integrity of their elections. But the thing is, when David Perdue comes out and says that that election was rigged and stolen, everybody just reads it as Donald Trump. It's not just Donald Trump. David Perdue's election was rigged and stolen, too. He shouldn't have been in the runoff in the first place. And if they hadn't cheated in the runoff, he would have won that anyway. He actually won twice despite fraud. OK, he is rightfully a U.S. senator right now. And if election fraud gets tackled and resolved before this 2022 midterm election, Brian Kemp won't be in the race, even if he were to win this primary. And honestly, neither would Stacey Abrams. And there's a chance that David Perdue wouldn't be either because he already won as senator. And it's possible that David Perdue wants to be senator. And of course, all of that remains to be seen. I'm not sure I'm right. Okay. I'm just saying there are ways this can ultimately play to our advantage. And I think that that's probably what Trump had intended in the first place. I don't know that Candace Taylor would have been the person to take this fight to Brian Kemp. Is she correct? Yes. But it doesn't show up in Politico the next day. Okay. David Perdue saying that an establishment candidate saying that in a GOP primary debate against someone who's even more establishment, that means a lot. That means Politico has to cover it. That means this isn't going away and they can't call David Perdue QAnon. And again, I understand that this isn't the principled argument we all want it to be. This is a pragmatic argument and I don't know that it's correct. All right. Like, I am more than happy to be with you on the principle, and I cannot say what I would do if it was my vote in a couple of weeks. But we're going to learn a lot between now and then, and we might see the whole entire thing completely differently. You know, 2,000 Mules is going to come out. We're going to know a lot about the ballot harvesting and the fraud that happened in Georgia. And Brian Kemp's going to be seen in a different light by that point, even by a lot of establishment candidates. There's a lot left to happen. Okay. However much you trust Donald Trump, you give him the benefit of the doubt. If you don't trust him at all, then don't. It's up to you to make your own decisions. Okay. I am playing devil's advocate. I'm giving you another point of view. I see the David Perdue confrontation of Brian Kemp at this debate and the headlines it got 
as being a substantial move forward in the election fraud narrative. That is as important as anything else. The country has to eventually understand in full that the 2020 election was in fact rigged and stolen. We are on that path. Anything that speeds us forward along that path is good. All right, so let's get to the great American patriot, Mike Lindell. And once again, you can just go on MyPillow.com, type in promo code reasonable and get great deals. That's my commercial voice, kind of the same as my, my main voice, but also extra excited. So on Friday evening, Mike Lindell announced that the lawsuit seeking emergency injunction to prevent the use of voting machines in Arizona has been filed. The plaintiffs are Carrie Lake, who is the Trump endorsed candidate for governor and Mark Fincham, who is the Trump endorsed candidate for secretary of state. Both have worked relentlessly to bring Arizona and to bring the country the truth about what happened in the 2020 election in Arizona and to have the results decertified and to implement all measures necessary to ensure the sanctity of our elections. Both have consistently won the favor of the supporters of Donald Trump and the America First movement, and both will likely win in landslides in a free and fair election this fall. So Carrie Lake and Fincham are the plaintiffs and the attorneys are Alan Dershowitz, Andrew Parker, and Kurt Olson. Kurt Olson has previously worked for Donald Trump, and he has been next to Mike Lindell throughout this entire process. They have an excellent team of attorneys, and the case is, as far as I can see, airtight. Because the evidence against the use of voting machines is overwhelming, and the evidence for fraud in 2020 was overwhelming as well. So I'm going to read the beginning of the case and then go through what they are seeking, how they want the elections to be in the future, and we'll discuss some of the evidence as well. This is a civil rights action for declaratory and injunctive relief to prohibit the use of electronic voting machines in the state of Arizona in the upcoming 2022 midterm election slated to be held on November 8th, 2022. Unless and until the electronic voting system is made open to the public and subjected to scientific analysis by objective experts to determine whether it is secure from manipulation or intrusion, the machine companies have consistently refused to do this. Plaintiffs have a constitutional and statutory right to have their ballots and all ballots cast together with theirs counted accurately and transparently so that only legal votes determine the winners of each office contested in the midterm election. Okay. So it's not just about their own personal ballots. It's about everybody else's ballots as well. Your vote might be counted one for you, but if a fraudulent ballot enters the system that negates your ballot or it negates someone else's, that's the only way it can work. Each person has one vote and only one vote. That vote is counted accurately and applied toward the final count. And so is everyone else's. And we know with overwhelming evidence in every single state that has been examined so far that that did not happen. Electronic voting machines cannot be deemed reliably secure and do not meet the constitutional and statutory mandates to guarantee a free and fair election. 
the use of untested and unverified electronic voting machines violates the rights of plaintiffs and their fellow voters and office seekers, and it undermines public confidence in the validity of election results. Just as the government cannot insist on trust me, so too private companies that perform governmental functions such as vote counting cannot be trusted without verification. And this is where we have gotten in our society. All these public private partnerships. Well, we can't look at it because it's not the government doing it. It's a private company and the private company. Well, they have intellectual property rights that they need to look out for. Well, their whole business could fall apart if their intellectual property becomes exposed. They have to keep their codes and algorithms and all of that very secret. And we're seeing the same thing happen in Twitter right now, too, because Twitter works with the government. And before you say you can't prove that, yes, I can, because the FOIA documents are available. Secretary of State's offices around the country working directly with the social media companies to decide what to censor. It's all very real. That is government interference using the social media companies as a tool to manipulate elections and to deprive American citizens of their First Amendment rights. Public private partnerships, Dominion and ESNS and Hart InterCivic don't get special treatment just because they handle the voting. They're not a private company if they're doing government work. They should be as open to audit as any construction company that the government might hire. Defendants each have duties to ensure elections held with a, quote, maximum degree of correctness, impartiality, uniformity and efficiency on the procedures for early voting and voting and of producing, distributing, collecting, counting, tabulating and storing ballots, end quote. Defendants have fallen short of those duties and they will do so again unless this court intervenes. And that is absolutely clear and obvious. They have violated statutory requirements over and over and over again, and they have done so in a concerted effort to cover up election fraud from 2020. All of that is obvious and proven through the audits and otherwise. All of these defendants have participated in that. And they intend to run the 2022 election under the same provisions. For two decades, experts and policymakers from across the political spectrum have raised glaring failures with electronic voting systems. Indeed, just three months ago, a computer science expert in Curling versus Raffensperger identified catastrophic failures in electronic voting machines used in 16 states, including Arizona. The expert testified that the failures include the ability to defeat all state safety procedures. Okay, the machines come equipped to go around state safety procedures. This caused the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to enter an appearance and urge the federal district court to not allow disclosure of the expert's report detailing these failures. And that's the J. Alex Halderman report in Georgia. The district court refused to allow disclosure of that expert report to date. Secrecy destroys public confidence in our elections and election systems that result in secrecy undermine our democratic process. The problems with electronic voting systems are not only technical, but structural. To date, only three companies collectively provide voting machines and software for 90% of all eligible voters in the United States. Most of those machines are over a decade old, have critical components manufactured overseas in countries, some of which are hostile to the United States, 
and use software that is woefully outdated and vulnerable to catastrophic cyber attacks. Indeed, countries like France have banned the use of electronic voting machines due to lack of security and related vulnerabilities. And more accurately, they haven't banned them entirely, but they have prohibited use of further voting machines since 2008. Given the limitations and flaws of existing technology, electronic voting machines cannot legally be used to administer elections today and for the foreseeable future unless and until their current electronic voting system is objectively validated. None of the machines around the country are being used legally. Okay, you got to understand that every election with those machines is happening illegally. It's just no one can ever challenge them and Dominion and lawyers like Mark Elias at Perkins Coie prevent the public from ever seeking justice on this issue. Through this action, plaintiffs seek an order that defendants collect and count votes through a constitutionally acceptable process, which relies on tried and true precepts that mandate integrity and transparency. This includes votes cast by hand on verifiable paper ballots that maintain voter anonymity, votes counted by human beings, not by machines, and votes counted with transparency and in a fashion observable to the public. It is important to note that this complaint is not an attempt to undo the past. Most specifically, it is not about undoing the 2020 presidential election. It is only about the future, about upcoming elections that will employ electronic voting machines designed and run by private companies performing a crucial governmental function that refuse to disclose their software and systems components and subject them to neutral expert evaluation. It raises the profound constitutional issue. Can government avoid its obligation of democratic transparency and accountability by delegating a critical governmental function to private companies? That is an excellent question. And what this case should hinge on. We are told that the citizens of this country deserve transparency, but whoops, too bad. We can't have it because this private company might be harmed in the process. So, hey, sorry about your rights, but this is necessary because we need to protect corporations even while they're stealing our elections. Somebody get Bernie Sanders on the phone. I'm just kidding. He stopped caring about his principles when he started getting paid and was probably told, hey, we're going to kill you if you make a stink about this. Everybody knows you're corrupt, Bernie. Everybody knows you're sold out. Let's not go there. And Bernie said, okay, well, just let me decide on the budget. And here's the introduction to the case where they lay out the defendants and exactly what the defendants are guilty of doing. Defendant Hobbs as Arizona secretary of state and the chief election officer in Arizona has violated state and federal law. Defendant Hobbs violations include failing to achieve and maintain the maximum degree of correctness, impartiality and uniformity in elections. Ensure that all votes are counted safely, efficiently and accurately. Ensure that all software code, firmware code, and hard-coded instructions on any hardware component used temporarily or installed in the voting systems precludes fraud or any unlawful act. Revoke the certification of electronic voting systems used in Arizona elections. Demand access to the electronic voting system so that it can be examined by objective experts. 
Katie Hobbs has done none of those things. Her job requires all of those things. Her duty and her sworn oath require all of those things. Jumping down, defendants Gates, Hickman, Sellers, Galvin, and Gallardo, as members of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, have caused the use of election systems and equipment in Maricopa County that are rife with potentially glaring cybersecurity vulnerabilities, including operating systems lacking necessary updates, antivirus software lacking necessary updates, open ports on the electronic management server allowing for possible remote access, shared user accounts and common passwords, anomalous anonymous logins to the election management server. Okay. That means logins by people. They don't know who that should not have appeared. They were anomalies. They were not within the normal use of the logins. So they don't know who logged in and they don't have an explanation for why someone would have logged in at that point. Unexplained creation, modification, and deletion of election files. And members of this very board of supervisors, I think it was Jack Sellers and Bill Gates, both testified before the United States Congress and admitted to these deletions. They said it was because they were running out of space. Older elections still remained, but the 2020 election was gone. So they were running out of space on their server. And what they decided to do was delete the most recent election that was required to be retained by law. And then they said that they only moved that information elsewhere. They had it backed up. Did they give that information over to the auditors? No, because it was no longer on the server. They actually testified to all of that in front of the U.S. Congress. Other glaring cybersecurity vulnerabilities, lost security log data, the presence of stored data from outside of Maricopa County, unmonitored network communications, unauthorized user internet or cellular access through election servers and devices, secret content not subject to objective and public analysis. All of that was in the Maricopa County audit. And they have similar complaints to the Board of Supervisors in Pima County as well. And naturally, the evidence to back up these claims is listed throughout the lawsuit. So I'm going to jump around to just some of the evidence, and then we'll get to what they intend to do. So this is Section B. Decades of evidence prove electronic voting systems do not provide a secure, transparent, or reliable vote. Okay? The machine thing should not be construed as a conspiracy theory in any way. None of the machine problems are new. That is what's so insane about all of this. Like, if you talk about the machines, you are chalked up as a crazy person. Mike Lindell, oh, he's not a serious guy. And that's said by bloggers from the New York Times because they went to a good school. So they think they're among the smartest people ever. People on Twitter, fellow Blue Anons, oh, they think they're all very smart. So they're all the smart people, the bloggers at the New York Times. But Mike Lindell is a dummy, right? Because he is too Christian and he used to be a drug addict and they don't like how he talks. So he can't be taken seriously. Of course, Mike Lindell can count cards. You know what kind of brain is required to be able to do that? A pretty sharp one. I'm not sure Taylor Lorenz can match up to that. But sure, let's take the global communist doxer in chief 
as the serious person and write off Mike Lindell. That makes sense. I mean, he started a successful business, but sure, you have the very prestigious credentials of doxing people for the New York Times and the Washington Post and wherever else you do it on Twitter. So sure, you're the very, very serious one. There's nothing new about election machine fraud. In fact, it might be the most obvious fraud in this entire situation, just because it's the hardest to prove on a technical basis, just because it's the hardest to prove to the, to the people who are addicted to the central narrative, it doesn't make it somehow less valid or less true or less reliable or less reasonable. It is just true information. Over the last two decades, the United States has transitioned from a safe, secure, auditable paper-based system to an inherently vulnerable network-exposed electronic equipment-based system. The transition to increased reliance on electronic systems and computer technology has created unjustified new risks of hacking, election tampering, and electronic voting fraud. With each passing election, the unreliability of electronic voting machines has become more apparent. In light of this experience, the vote tallies reported by electronic voting machines cannot, without objective evaluation, be trusted to accurately show which candidates actually received the most votes. Credible allegations of electronic voting machine glitches that materially impacted specific races began to emerge in 2002. Black Box Voting, the seminal publication documenting early pitfalls of electronic voting systems, chronicles the following failures. In Alabama's 2002 general election, machines made by election systems and software, that's ES&S, flipped the governor's race. 6,300 Baldwin County electronic votes mysteriously disappeared after the polls had closed and everyone had gone home. Democrat Don Siegelman's victory was handed to Republican Bob Riley and the recount Siegelman requested was denied. Six months after the election, the vendor shrugged. Something happened. I don't have enough intelligence to say exactly what said Mark Kelly of ES&S. You got that? Something happened. The people now have an illegitimate representative, but there's nothing we can do about it. Something happened. In the 2002 general election, a computer miscount overturned the House District 11 result in Wayne County, North Carolina. Incorrect programming caused machines to skip several thousand party line votes, both Republican and Democratic. Fixing the error turned up 5,500 more votes and reversed the election for state representative. Voting machines failed to tally yes votes on the 2002 school bond issue in Gretna, Nebraska. This error gave the false impression that the measure had failed miserably, but it actually passed by a two to one margin. Responsibility for the errors was attributed to ES&S, the Omaha company that had provided the ballots and machines. In the November 2002 general election in Scurry County, Texas, poll workers got suspicious about a landslide victory for two Republican commissioner candidates. Told that a bad chip was to blame, they had a new computer chip flown in and also counted the votes by hand and found out that Democrats actually had won by wide margins overturning the election. So that's 20 years ago. And I bet that's not all of the instances that happened back then. By 2004, explicit evidence that electronic voting machines were susceptible to intentional manipulation and that malicious actors sought to exploit this vulnerability became public. In that year, cyber expert Clint Curtis testified under oath before the House Judiciary Committee 
that he had previously been hired to create a program that would change the results of an election without leaving any trace of the change. He claimed he wrote this program with ease. Mr. Curtis's testimony can be watched here, and they provide a YouTube link. During the next election cycle in 2006, a team of computer scientists at Princeton University analyzed the Diebold AccuVote TS voting machine, then one of the most widely deployed electronic voting platforms in the United States. They found malicious software running on a single voting machine can steal votes with little risk of detection. The malicious software can modify all of the records, audit logs, and counters kept by the voting machine so that even careful forensic examination of these records will find nothing amiss. Anyone who has physical access to a voting machine or to a memory card that will later be inserted into a machine can install said malicious software using a simple method that takes as little as one minute. AccuVote TS machines are susceptible to voting machine viruses, computer viruses that can spread malicious software automatically and invisibly from machine to machine during pre and post election activity. The Princeton team prepared a video demonstration showing how malware could flip votes. In the video, mock election votes were cast in favor of George Washington by a four to one margin. But the paper printout that reported the results showed Benedict Arnold prevailing by a margin of three to two. Malicious vote stealing malware was the sole reason for reallocation of votes. The malware deleted itself after the election, leaving no evidence that the voting machine was ever hijacked or any votes stolen. And they go through example after example of this leading all the way up through the 2020 election, of course. But look how extensive this history is. Look what we know. Look how long we've known it. And look what's being claimed about the machines in 2020. What about any of this sounds like it's an impossible conspiracy theory to go after the machines. There should be no backing down on the machine issue whatsoever. If you fix other stuff and not the machines, you have not fixed anything. The whole system needs to be fixed. Think about the way the Associated Press tried to describe France's election to us. They tried to make it seem like all the problems in the American election don't exist in France and Emmanuel Macron just won his election with that low approval. That is to tell us all that Joe Biden won legitimately. And when we see Democrats win this fall, that will be legitimate too. France does all these things. Their elections are perfect. Maybe we can do a few more of these things to make our elections more perfect, but our elections are all very safe and secure anyway. So it really doesn't matter. Just you can take some icing on your cake if you like. We'll give you that people. You can have that. We're still going to steal the election, but we'll give you a, a few things here and there. You know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to stop saying you're racist if you want voter ID. How's that? You let us keep stealing elections and we'll call you racist just a little bit less. Is everybody happy now? Okay. Joe Biden is is really the president. So I'm going to jump down to what the plaintiffs are seeking. This is what they're asking for in the emergency injunction. Plaintiffs seek for the court to order an election conducted by paper ballot as an alternative to the current framework to satisfy constitutional requirements of reliability, accuracy and security. The following is a summary of procedures that should be implemented. Ballots are cast by voters filling out paper ballots by hand. 
The ballots are then placed in a sealed ballot box. Each ballot bears a discreet, unique identification number, which is made known by election officials only to the voter so that the voter can later verify whether his or her ballot was counted properly. All ballots will be printed on specialized paper to confirm their authenticity. None of that should be hard in this day and age. All of that represents a better system than we have right now. And that's only step one. Through a uniform chain of custody, ballot boxes are conveyed to a precinct level counting location while still sealed. With party representatives, ballot boxes are unsealed one at a time and ballots are removed and counted in batches of 100, then returned to the ballot box. When all ballots in a ballot box have been counted, the box is resealed with a copy of the batch tally sheets left inside the box and the batch tally sheets carried to the tally center with a uniform chain of custody. And if you paid attention to the Arizona audit while it was happening, you'll notice that a lot of these things are in exact detail or in principle the procedures that the auditors in Maricopa County used to make sure that their work could not be questioned after it was completed. Ballots are counted one at a time by three independent counters who each produce a tally sheet that is compared to the other tally sheets at the completion of each batch. So three different people count a hundred votes each. They make sure that all those numbers match, you know, it probably would generally be like 70 for Donald Trump and 30 for Joe Biden. And as long as all of them got 70, 30, then we're perfect. Those 100 ballots are all good to go. Everybody agrees. The count was observed. The ballots all go back in the box. They are sealed with the sheet that says the count of the ballots inside the box and the sheet that records the count of the ballots outside the box. That box is sealed and protected forever for 22 months, for whatever it is, so that it can always be checked to make sure each and every box was done accurately. There is no reason why there should be any inaccuracy in any of this, any of it ever. This is not a hard thing to do. The idea that elections must be so complicated, that's absolutely insane. Oh, we need computers to figure out all of this very, very hard stuff. No, we don't. We need eyes and hands and pens and paper, period. I mean, otherwise, just say that every election ever has been fraudulent. And by the way, I might agree with you. But if you're not going to say that, then you kind of got to say when elections became fraudulent. And that would be when the machines started, when mail-in ballots started, when people started to make it much, much more complicated to vote. And their claim was always, we're making it easier to vote for all of the people. You see, there are some people that can't vote the normal way. And for that 0.1% of the population, we need to change how everybody votes. Yes, it's going to open the whole system up to more fraud and manipulation. But hey, 0.1% of the people are having trouble in this one way. So rather than figuring out something that they can do to fix their problem, we're going to change the whole system for everyone. At the tally center, two independent tallyers add the counts from the batch sheets and the results are compared to ensure accuracy. Wonderful. Vote counting from paper ballots is conducted in full view of multiple recording streaming cameras that ensure a no ballot is ever touched or accessible to anyone off camera or removed from view between acceptance of a cast ballot and completion of counting. Perfect. 
B. All ballots, while being counted, are in full view of a camera and are readable on the video. Okay? So you can actually see what's on the ballot on camera. This is like the casino style of watching what's actually happening. Put the camera right above the table. Make sure that all of what's on the paper is visible by that camera and is recorded for all time. And C, batch tally sheets and precinct tally sheets are in full view of a camera while being filled out and are readable on the video. Each cast ballot from the time of receipt by a sworn official from a verified eligible elector remains on video through the completion of precinct counting and reporting. They ask that the video be live streamed for public access and archived for use as an auditable record with public access to replay a copy of that auditable record. And all of this stuff should exist, right? Like morally speaking, if we are planning on living in a civilized society, then something like voting needs to be ensured. There is no excuse in the world for the public to not be able to see the results of elections and verify them themselves. And yet that is exactly what we're told we're not allowed to do beyond anything else. We are not allowed to question the results of the election and we are not allowed to look. Think about how much of their system depends on stolen elections when they are guarding it this strongly. And by the way, I called this shot years ago, but we will eventually find out at the end of this process that the census is part of the problem. There are nowhere near as many people in this country, as we are told, or anywhere in the world, as we are told. And I know that might sound crazy, but I'm going to stick with it. How many tens of millions of illegal votes did we have in the 2020 election? And how much of that do we believe based on what we're told about the population of our country? Birth rates are falling for Americans, but yet our population continues to grow at like 10 or 20 million people every decade. No. Okay. Just no. The population grows everywhere all around the country. Oh, millions of people are fleeing California. All those new Texans. Oh, they're former Californians. New Wisconsinites, those 700,000 or whatever they threw in to the voter registry in the last six months before the 2020 election. Oh, they're all former Californians. All those new people in Florida, former Californians, anywhere you need more people, they come from California. Well, where do all the new Californians come from? Oh, they come from the Southern border. I get it. I get it. I mean, you guys all understand, right, that illegal immigrants are counted in the census. I'm not making that up, by the way. That's the policy. And they actually make a constitutional argument that that should be the policy, that the census is only intended to make sure how many people are in the country and where they are. And it's not for the other stuff, except for that number is still used to allot congressional seats and electoral votes in all the states of the country. So are illegal immigrants influencing the outcomes of our elections already? <laughs> yeah, they are. The final suggestion in this section of the lawsuit is anonymity will be maintained. However, any elector will be able to identify their own ballot by the discrete serial ballot number known only to themselves and to see that their own ballot is accurately counted. And that, again, is something easy and something effective. I can look up my ballot status 
from 2020 in California, and it says I voted. But who knows which candidate my vote actually was counted for? I voted on election day in person. And so, yeah, it tells me that in their record, but I sure have no way of finding out whether or not my vote for Donald Trump was cast for Donald Trump, whether my vote was in opposition to the entire Democrat platform all the way down the ballot. I don't know that that actually counted. And California can't tell me and won't allow me to look. Every county in Arizona, regardless of size, demographics, or any other ostensibly unique characteristic, can simply and securely count votes cast on paper ballots without using centralized machine counting or computerized optical scanners. And that is obviously true, because that's what we used to do. The recent hand count in Maricopa County, the second largest voting jurisdiction in the United States, offers defendant Hobbs a proof of concept and superior alternative to relying on corruptible electronic voting systems. Voting jurisdictions larger than any within Arizona, including France and Taiwan, have also proven that hand count voting can deliver swift, secure and accurate election results. Then the case gets into what the defendants specifically have done and what they intend to do in the midterm election. And then it goes into the claims against them. And they have claims on violation of due process, on violation of equal protection, on violation of the fundamental right to vote. They file for civil action for the deprivation of rights under 42 U.S. Code Section 1983. And they cite violations of the Arizona statutes as well. So this has now been filed and we'll wait to hear what the next steps will be. But they also intend to file these same suits in states all around the country, hopefully in all 50. But you can imagine they will likely be filed in places like Michigan and Wisconsin and Georgia and Pennsylvania first. And then the attorneys general and the secretaries of state will have to figure out what they intend to do. Are attorneys general going to go out and try to defend against this case? Are they going to try to argue that these claims are not legitimate? Well, the first one that we're going to have to hear from is Mark Burnovich in Arizona. Now, if he's an upstanding citizen that actually thinks he might still have a chance to become senator of Arizona, he's going to want to go ahead and say, I am not defending the state of Arizona against these charges. We will do without the machines because the evidence is all there. All right. This is kind of airtight. As I was saying, what are they going to say? They're going to try to get the case thrown out. I'm sure there'll be a motion to dismiss on this ground or that. And part of this, by the way, part of this might've bothered you. The idea that this isn't about reversing the 2020 election That bothers everybody because that is true justice, but you can't file every case for everything. Getting the machines thrown out, that leads us to the next options, okay? The fact is that the machines being fraudulent proves the 2020 election fraud legitimate in just another way, and then there will be a different option for how to deal with the 2020 election, whether the courts overturn it through Quo Warranto, a case that Mike Lindell might still bring after the machines are declared fraudulent in different states, for instance, or the states could choose to decertify themselves. 
And that would make a whole lot more sense. There would be a whole lot more public momentum behind that if the machines were outlawed in Arizona and then other states. So I imagine that's the strategy here and we'll just have to see. But election fraud is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. It is not enough just to say we're going to vote in 2022 and we're going to overwhelm the fraud. Okay, I respect my friends who think that that is the right answer. I do not know how they can reasonably defend that position. All right. There is election fraud everywhere. It has not been fixed, even in the states that have tried to make amends and tried to fix their systems. Election fraud is not fixed. The elections are still vulnerable. We can watch them all we want. If the machines can flip the numbers, it won't matter how much we can watch them. It would be a good thing if people could understand that on both sides of this debate, there are patriotic Americans talking about what they think is the best path forward. If you think the best path forward is just having everybody show up and vote, no matter what the election looks like in November and no matter what the laws are, what are you honestly saying for real? You don't care about election fraud. The idea that we're just going to fix election fraud after Republicans take back the House and Senate is is crazy. Okay, that is not good enough. If there is election fraud, including in these states primaries, we will end up with rhinos in office. Those rhinos will do everything they can to thwart the investigations into the 2020 election. Donald Trump rightfully deserves to be president right now because he won the election. Anything that stops short of seeking justice on that count is a failure. All right. It is anything but ideal. Now, could we still win by voting and getting enough Republicans in in 2022? Yes. In the long term, we could still win. All right. I understand that that's what you're saying, and I'm not trying to discount that. But you have to understand what everyone else is saying, all right? An election with fraud means your vote doesn't count the way it's supposed to. An election where they can dictate the outcome in full, going well beyond just defrauding your vote here and someone else's vote there and someone else's vote somewhere else. It's beyond that. If they are deciding the winners and losers in the primaries and then the general elections, your outcome will be fraudulent. They are making those moves so that people trust the system and simultaneously accept that it is still corrupt. That is a bad result, no matter what. Okay. We didn't win by overwhelming fraud in Virginia. The red wave happened. People showed up, but that's not how and why we won. We won by very small margins because they still cheated anyway. What would politics look like right now if the Virginia election was fraud free? Would it be 60-40? Would it be 65-35? That's what the red wave really looks like. And the fact that we have to operate as if Virginia was a very close purple state is absurd. The fact that the governor there is not pursuing the election fraud in 2020 after already winning is absurd. And if it's part of a grand plan that I just don't see all of right now, okay, fine. You got me there, I guess. But I'm going with what we know now 
And with what we know now, there is no reason to believe that there was not fraud in Virginia's 2020 election. So you cannot depend on the Virginia model to save the country. There is ample evidence of election fraud around the world. It is time to go straight at solving that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!